Hi, my name is Margaret. The second Bible reading is Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 to 11, which is found on the screen and on page 769 of the Pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Margaret. Well, given that I'm not the regular preacher, some of you are sitting there this morning probably wondering, who is this random guy up the front in the pulpit? And so let me just briefly introduce myself. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Bryce. Uh, I'm a fourth-year Bible college student. I live in Box Hill. I'm from country Victoria. And uh, I have actually the privilege of being trained not just by the Presbyterian Church, but also employed by the Royal Australian Air Force. They are uh, sponsoring me and uh, preparing me to serve as a chaplain in the Air Force. And this is my final year. Next year, I'll be sent to a church for two years and, Lord willing, get ordained. And then after that, I'll be going to military college and then off into a base. And so that is what I do. But I have a question for all of you. And the question this morning is this. Who can we trust? Who can we trust? American economist Joseph Stiglitz once said, it is, not, sorry, it is trust more than money that makes the world go round. It is trust more than money that makes the world go round. Now, many years ago, a friend named Matt and I were catching a work flight together. He said, Bryce, just meet me at my place and I'll get us there on time. And I thought to myself, that sounds like a pretty wise plan. Matt's pretty organised. He'll get us there on time. He's loyal. He has my back. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we arrive at the airport. Matt checks in first, and then he waits for me to the side. And then I walk up with my big bag to the counter. I put it there, and I say to the lady, oh, hey, this bag, it, it needs to go underneath the plane. And then she says to me, oh, I'm sorry, I checked in baggage finished a few minutes ago. You're going to have to leave your bag here. And I'm thinking, how on earth can I leave it here? And my heart's racing. What on earth am I going to do? 
And then literally a second later, the call comes over the PA. Ladies and gentlemen, the this is the final call for flight JQ603 departing to Sydney. And I look to Matt. Matt looks at me. He does the, I'll call you. <laughs> and boom, in he goes through security. And I'm sitting there. What am I going to do? I'm panicking. There I was thinking I could rely on Matt to get me to the airport on time, to stick by me in my moment of need. And off he goes. A complete betrayal of trust. Now that's just a funny memory. We're laughing together. But what about when the stakes are much higher? Think about this. We all use banks. Everyone's wages goes into banks. But it turns out that some of our banks betrayed us. Last year, the government launched a royal commission on the banks. They broke our trust. That's pretty bad. But we think to ourselves, well, yep, it's bad, but at the end of the day, it's money. It's not everything. Well, some of us have parents and grandparents in aged care homes and we've chosen to place our trust in nurses and aged care workers to care for our, our beloved uh, grandparents and parents. This year, the government launched another royal commission, a commission on our aged care homes. Aged care nurses and workers found abusing, mistreating our elderly. That is a huge breach of trust. That's really bad. And it's not surprising then that someone like the infamous Joseph Stalin says, I trust no one. I trust no one, not even myself. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Maybe you feel like that now. But I wonder even more if you feel that way towards God. I mean, if you can't trust God, the all-loving, good God, then what hope is there in this life? Well, guess what? I've been there. It was 2006. I was 19. I'd been a Christian for a few months. I went home from Melbourne to the country and I went home and was hit with a tsunami, it seemed, of opposition. My uncle fired endless questions trying to rock my faith. My grandmother at some point declared that I was out of the family, the matriarch declaring me out. It felt like being a deer before the floodlights. I was completely shocked. I felt hopeless. I prayed and I prayed but nothing. I'd embraced Jesus thinking that I could trust him and I found no help in my time of need, or so I thought. And so I was done. For a few weeks, I wrote God off. Now, I'm one person who stopped following God for a few weeks then turned back. But imagine a whole nation doing that. Well, it happened. When, the, when faced with pressure, the people of Israel placed their trust 
in leaders rather than in their God. And God let their enemies invade them. Israel were forced out of their country. And as a result, they got bitter towards their God. And you know, it's kind of understandable. I mean, when things go really bad, if we have followed God, we think God will intervene. But sometimes he doesn't, and we wonder why. Where is God? When it seems like you can't trust anyone, not even God, you've got to wonder, is there actually hope? Who can we trust? Well, Isaiah 50 paints us a picture. It's a picture of someone who is completely, absolutely, never failing in his trust and in his obedience towards God. And this morning we're going to see that there is someone that we can trust, that we must trust. We need to trust the Lord and his servant, to trust the Lord and not ourselves. And so you can follow in your outlines with me now as we work through the text. We're about to encounter a man who talks the talk. And in verse 10, this man is called the servant. And he's about to give us three reasons why we should trust him and his Lord. And here is the first. He talks the talk. Have a look at verse 4 with me. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. Notice he starts with God. And he tells us something about this God. God is sovereign. That means he's in control. And God has given him words. You see, he's been called to talk the talk. Now just think about Israel for a minute. They were given words from God. They too were called to talk the talk. They were given the task of being a light to the nations, to declare their hope of God to the nations. And we see that in chapter 42, verse 6. But instead of doing that, they complain to God. In Isaiah 49, they accuse, they, we see them accusing God, accusing him of forsaking them, of forgetting them, of being unable to have offspring, of being plundered of their stuff, of being made captive by their enemy, and of feeling divorced and sold like an unloved slave from their God to someone else. That's what Israel did with their tongue. Israel failed to talk the talk. But the servant says, I know the word that sustains the weary. See, he uses his words to help those who are struggling to keep going. But the Israelites, they are so wrapped up in their self-pity party that they have no time to care about the weary. And the servant goes on, God wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. His point is this, he walks closely with his God and he listens. He walks so closely that God walks, wakens him morning by morning, like the student learning from the master. It's a bit like me, really. Each day I arise and I awaken and I hear the voice of Pastor John 
on my message bank with my daily instruction. I go out day by day like a faithful servant, declaring the light of the Lord to the eastern suburbs. And like a white belt kung fu kid, Shifu John has me hanging off every golden word of wisdom that departs from his lips. Okay, that is an exaggeration. But back to Israel. Twice, twice in Isaiah 49, God told them he never abandoned them. He never abandoned them. They were disciplined for their sin. But Israel refused to listen. Israel refused to obey. The servant, though, the servant succeeded where they failed. But as my grandma used to say, she used to say, Bros, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. And the servant knows this too. And so in verses 5 to 6, he shows us just how he walks the walk. Look at verse 5 with me. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. Do you notice that the Lord's given the servant a tongue to instruct and he's opened his ears? This guy clearly has God's favor, God's approval, and God's enabling. The servant declares, I haven't been rebellious. I haven't turned away. Imagine being Israel. Imagine being an Israelite and hearing that. I mean, it just reminds me of a, of a teacher's pet, you know, that the perfect student, they're the worst. They're always making you look bad. I mean, what did Israel do in Isaiah 7? Israel's enemy couldn't even get to them before they sold out on God and they placed their trust in the king of Assyria. And eventually when Babylon came and sent them packing out of their country, well, they turned to foreign gods. They turned to false gods. Israel failed to talk the talk and walk the walk. But as we'll see, we're not dealing with any teacher's pet. This servant is not in the business of making us look bad or making us feel bad. No, there's a far more noble motive at work here. But back to the story. You see, God's servant didn't just obey. He took a punishment upon himself. Look at verse 6 with me. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Look at the verbs in those two verses. I offered, I did not hide. There's just no retaliation. He just took it. He just took the punishment. But as for Israel, when they got so much as a sniff of suffering, they turned to their neighbouring leader for help. You know, in a world of people mismanaging our money, in a world of people mistreating our loved ones, the servant this morning has given us two good reasons why we should place our trust in him. He talks the talk and he walks the walk. But there's one more. He can't be accused. Look at verse 7 now. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. 
The servant knows that God is with him in this. God has his back. And so he says, Therefore have I set my face like flint. He's saying, God is with me. I am turning my face towards danger willingly. And I am ready. But compare that to Israel. The first chance they get, they run. They do not trust their God. And because they don't trust God, they're not prepared to suffer for God. But what about us this morning? I mean, we might turn to God some of the time. Even Israel turned to God when Assyria decided to attack them. But do we turn to God every time? You see, we too are guilty for failing to talk the talk and to walk the walk. And we stand accused. We're completely helpless, even if we've just failed just the once in our life to trust God. We stand accused. You see, the servant, the servant is like the golden standard, the golden standard of how humanity is meant to live before their God. He's like a perfectly black cloth, and we are that cloudy diamond. And it is only when we are placed on that cloth that our shortcomings and our imperfections become so powerfully and painfully clear. Look at verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. Listen to that confidence in his voice. He's saying, God clears me of blame or suspicion. So who will accuse me? Who's going to accuse me? That's the kind of confidence that Israel was meant to have. That no one could accuse her. But sadly, they were so neck deep in sin, this wasn't even possible. And the servant ends with one more reminder. Look at verse 9. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Notice the pattern. This is the fourth time now he said something about the sovereign Lord. He's adamant that his Lord will help him. Look at how that shapes his attitude towards his enemies. He says, who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. It's a bit like when you start noticing holes in your socks. No one likes holes in their socks. There's nothing worse than that annoying feeling of when your big toe pokes through or half pokes through a sock. I'm cringing just thinking about it. When the holes happen, the socks are done. You chuck them out. So too with the accusers of God's servant. They don't stand a chance. But as for the servants, sorry, as for Israel, well, they don't have that confidence. They stand accused for their mistrusts of God. But can you see, friends, this morning that things are no different today? Everyone stands guilty and accused like Israel. Who can honestly say that they've trusted God consistently every time? Who can say that they have not doubted God's faithfulness? Who can say that they haven't doubted God's goodness? I mean, if you're like me, you start doubting God's goodness when you can't find a car park in Westfield, for crying out loud. How much harder is it to trust God in the really hard times? We stand accused. 
1 Peter 5 8 says this that we have a great accuser, the devil, and that devil has dirt on everyone, you and me. No one can stand with confidence before God. You see, it was bad for Israel then, and it's bad for the world now. God has a standard of how he expects his people to behave and operate. The trouble is, friends, we seem bent towards trusting in a thousand other things other than God. We trust in money. We trust in people. We trust in abilities. We trust in ourselves. But we don't trust God. It's clear we need someone to do what we cannot. We need someone, someone else's record of trust to be ours. And this all reminds me of a kid. This kid's name is Edmund. And he's a character in a story I like called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you know, Edmund's a bit like you and me. He likes nice things. He doesn't, you know, he likes power. And he stumbles across this person called the White Witch in a place called Narnia. And she is like the devil. And the witch offers him Turkish delight. And he loves it. But the stuff is addictive. And so too is the power that the witch offers him if only he will betray his siblings and bring them to her. Sadly, he's now guilty of greed and betrayal, and the witch says, the boy will die on the stone, as is tradition. But the thing that always blew my mind as a kid was how Aslan, the lion, the one that was perfect, the one who talked the talk, who walked the walk, who couldn't be accused, why did he offer himself in place of Edmund? Why would you do that? The kid was a sellout. He was a scumbag to his family. And yet Aslan still did it. It's the great exchange. It's the perfect for the imperfect. Such is the love for Aslan to his people, even people like Edmund. Friends, we need an Aslan. We need someone to represent us. We need the servants. And all this morning, we have been thinking about the question, who on earth can we trust? And the servant has spent the last six verses trying to convince us that he is the one we ought to trust. But please notice this morning, that there is no command here to do what the servant did. There's no verse telling us to pull our socks up, to try harder. You won't find that here. And there's good reason. And the reason is that we can't do it. It's too late. We've already failed. And the servant wants us to trust in what he has done for us. And in the final two verses, the person behind the microphone changes and he passes it to the Lord and the Lord is bringing the conversation to a close. He summarizes and he says this in sum, trust in the Lord and not yourself. Look at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? 
You see, the last verses were all about the servant speaking and keeping God's word. So fearing the Lord has to be bound up in listening to God's word through the servant's ministry and obeying it. But you see, to truly listen means to understand what is being said. And if you understand what is being said, it will lead you to trust God's character and to rely on him. And that is what drives our obedience. But it's a soul-searching question. I mean, imagine what the Israelites were thinking and feeling, just knowing how far off the mark they would have been. But God moves from a question to an invitation. Look at the invitation to us. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and to rely on who? On ourself? No. To rely on our friend? No. To rely on money? No. To rely on God. This is Israel. They are in the dark. We have just established they don't trust God. They don't rely on him. But look how, God, look how kind God is. He's saying, you are in the dark. Can't you see it? You don't have a hope apart from me. So turn to me. Trust in me. Rely on me. I am your way forward. I am your hope. But God gives an alternative. Do you notice that? And the alternative is to take up the torch of self-reliance. Look at verse 11. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go. Go. Go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. Now at first you think, that sounds pretty good. Providing for myself, it seems like a very responsible thing to do. There's something honourable about that at first glance. But this is so much more than that. This is living a life apart from God. This is self-reliance in the worst sense. Trying to be completely independent of everyone, even God himself. And look at what the result is in verse 11. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. You see, in the end, anyone who tries to live independently of God, that person will lie down in torment. They'll spend an eternity apart from God. Now, if you're anything like me, you instinctively think that's not fair. That seems wrong. And we've seen this in the media lately. Lots of people, maybe thousands even, reacting against easy falaus, hard-hitting Facebook posts. Now, regardless of the particulars of whether he should have done it, of whether he could have worded it more kindly, what we've seen is that people don't like being told that some will lie down in torment. It's offensive. And the reason why is because we just can't help but think that people are basically good. They deserve more than that. They don't deserve 
torments. But the trouble, friends, is this. Even the good people who drive to do, uh, even in their drive to do good, those good people do their good works independently of God. Verse 10 says God wants his children to trust him, to rely on him, to depend on him. And in the end, many will seek to rely on their own torch, their torch, their own torch of wisdom to walk through this life. And God will hold them to account and judge them for it. And so, friends, perhaps the second most important question right now is this. Who is this servant? Who is it? And if you know your Bible, you may have worked it out. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about this. Jesus was the only one who talked the talk. He received words from the Father. He listened and he spoke those words to the people in his time. Jesus was the only one who walked the walk, who was perfectly obedient to the Father, never sinning once. Jesus was the only one who stood falsely accused and was vindicated by the Father. And Jesus was the only one who gave his back, gave his cheeks and his face for suffering and disgrace dying on the cross for all the Edmonds of the world like you and me. Today, God is calling us to trust in him and his servant to do that and not trust in ourselves. But the reality is, you know, this is both the easiest thing in the world to do and at the very same time, the most difficult, the hardest thing in the world to do. It is the hardest thing in the world, sorry, it's the easiest thing in the world to do because it doesn't require anything of us. It's like arriving at your surprise birthday party and all your, all your friends gather around and they present you with this incredible, incredibly expensive gift. You don't deserve it, you've got no way of uh, repaying them, but you receive it with joy. I mean, when I turned my back on God all those years ago now, there was no period of paying my dues. There was no set prayers. There was no penance. There was no uh, hard manual labor to, to make up for what I did. I just said sorry. I just said sorry to God from the bottom of my heart. And he welcomed me home like a prodigal son. But it's also the hardest thing in the world, and here is why. In nearly every other part of life, we are used to doing something to receive something back. You could call this a transactional lifestyle. As the old saying goes, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You see, when people willingly choose not to work and not to study and they take up Centrelink in this country, well, we consider that something to be ashamed of, don't we? And even when it comes to religion, every major religion, in some way, shape or form, basically teaches the same principle. If you do great good, you will go to heaven. If you do great bad, you will go to hell. And so when Christ, the servant, says, you can't do enough good, you must trust and rely on my good. When he says that to us, 
we find ourselves feeling like we are on spiritual Centrelink. And that can be incredibly hard. But the amazing thing, the amazing thing is that God would be that kind, that compassionate, that merciful, that he would make it possible to meet his standard by sending his son to live the life that we were meant to live and to die the death that we were meant to die. And to know that even when we fail to trust him consistently, that he forgives us because of Christ's, the servant's, perfect record. And friends, today God is asking you to reflect. To reflect on who you trust. And ultimately, he's asking whether you trust in him and his servant or whether you trust in yourself. And he's inviting you to recommit your trust in him or to trust in him for the very first time. And friends, this morning, I'm going to give you all an opportunity to echo a prayer together in the quietness of your hearts. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer for everyone, whether you trust in God already or whether you want to for the very first time. And if you feel like this is you, that you want to do this, why don't you pray along with me now in your heart? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for sending your servant to live the life I was meant to live and to die the death I was meant to die. Father, I am sorry for the many ways in which I've failed to trust you. Please help me to trust in you and your servant Help me to trust you and your servant in the parts of my life that are the most difficult right now. Thank you for making it possible to have peace with you through your son. And I ask, with your spirit's help, that my life would bring you glory. In Jesus' name the church said, Amen.